Yeah, that's what I should be drinking, water, not not beer. Not in this weather, I shouldn't be drinking <laughs> I do have another beer sitting here, but uh, most likely I'm not going to open it. So Yeah. I'm already sweaty enough as it is. I mean, I have air conditioning. I'm not, I mean, it's not the heat. It's just, you know. Uh, I, I don't. I just, I just had a super, super long week. That's all. Yeah. So. I've got two shitty fans, and I've got the one of them off and I've got one of them turned down and I got the window closed so I won't get any fucking assholes on motorbikes buzzing by while we're recording. <laughs> so. Two shitty fans. Sounds like our podcast audience. Yeah. <laughs> Waggity smaggity do. You are listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on sight. The following podcast may contain language and discussions of a frank and adult nature, and spoilers regarding the films discussed are always to be expected. Thank you for joining us. Now start the show, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome back. This they must be destroyed on site, episode 129. And I'm your host, Lee. I'm standing in front of Pan American, and the driver can't miss me because I'm that evil Russell. Joined by Daniel. I will persist and survive without God's or society's sanction. Harper, how are you doing, sir? I uh, just crawled out of a pool, and my uh, big floppy donkey dick is uh, swinging in the wind. As I run towards this podcast, that's how I'm doing. <laughs> I'm not sure if I want uh, dicks flying towards this part podcast or uh, vaginas, but um, at least some genitalia is involved. A little, a little bit of both. I, I think uh, equal opportunity, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be looking at Ganja and Hess from 1973 this time out. I've noticed that uh, almost all the movies we've covered so far in this little uh, horror excursion have been vampire films, and I didn't do that on purpose. It just happened to be that way. But uh, anyway, we'll we'll get into that as as we uh, review the film. Uh, I did put out there on they must be destroyed on site on Facebook. The best way to get in contact with us and find out what's coming out on the podcast. I, I just put a query out there to the uh, to the listeners if they wanted to ask questions. We got one, which is about a hundred percent increase of what we usually get, so that's good. From Cameron Sullivan, and he says, uh, "What was the film's other influences outside of Jim Jones, if any?" And I, what I don't, I uh, he says he read that somewhere in a review. I think he might be mistaking a different film because I don't, I didn't see any Jim Jones uh, cult. Uh, 
influences all, at all in this film. And I actually searched for quite some time to see if I could find any uh, mentions of it in other reviews and stuff like that. And no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think he's probably thinking of a different film or, yeah. you know, because the Jim Jones thing was, sorry, I'm looking at the date. I mean, it just seems like. Wasn't that the late, later seventies? Yeah. I mean, it may have been like sort of, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, in San Francisco or whatever, they would have kind of known who Jim Jones was. Uh, yeah. Probably in, you know, sort of, you know, radical black circles. I suspect it was, he was not unknown. I sort of get thematically where he's going, where he's coming with this, but yeah, no, it definitely didn't kind of occur to me watching the film. Um, but that'll definitely be rewatching the film at some point, and I'll try to kind of keep that in mind. But um, yeah, yeah, I mean, because this this is this has got to be the the films before the actual yeah yeah that he formed several years before that yeah no. yeah so um, I mean there is there is heavy religious iconography in this film, but that's about the only connection I can see there. I would say the vampire films of uh, Gene Rowland might have been an influence on this film because right around this time just before this he was making his really artsy vampire films and i'm thinking bill gunn might have seen one or two of those because a lot of this imagery does feel a lot a lot of the same sort of uh stuff going on very dream yeah. logic and all that i mean i suspect if anything it it sort of is borrowing from the uh kind of late 60s early 70s radical you know, kind of black cinema and, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, Putney Swope is a, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of a, uh, not that it's really, I mean, that's Robert Downey Sr. So it's hard to, you know, kind of say, oh, like that's a, you know, obviously that's not directed by a black man, but, you know, yeah. <laughs> a, you know it's it's drawing from a lot of the, uh, a lot of the kind of stuff that's just kind of going out of the culture at the time. But I mean, you know, one of the things that, uh, I mean, not to jump into the film too soon here, but uh, I mean, one of the things that makes this film so good is that it is very singular, and it is kind of a very singular vision of of what its narrative is. I mean, it's very uncompromising in terms of you know just kind of telling its own story. So, uh, I mean, you get elements of. I mean, it's funny, like most of the stuff that I could think of that that feels like it's referencing are really things that come later, and so I think I think in a lot of ways it's just sort of ahead of its time. Like it feels more referencing things than it is because it predates all of that and yet it was such a sort of buried film for so long that it's hard to even say that maybe it influenced some of that but yeah 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 uh so i, I hope that's adequate enough for you there uh cameron so uh we'll, i'll need we'll... to think on that i mean yeah. i i only finished rewatching the film a little bit ago or watching the film so uh, I need to I need to kind of sit and stew on that. So maybe maybe I'll uh, we'll try to answer that uh, at, an, at another time. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah, we're gonna take a quick break, play some promos for some excellent podcasts, uh, maybe a little bit of music, and we're gonna come back and review Ganjin Hess from 1973. <laughs> You're traveling through another dimension. A dimension of not only a film and sound, but mind. A journey into an auditory movie review adventure that must be experienced to be believed. There's a signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Doomsday Clock. You can extract the Witch vs. the Doomsday Clock podcast 
by either searching for WYCH on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, and on your Android device, which versus the Doomsday Clock is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. So prepare yourself. The podcast ice is gonna break! You go through your week with the same old routine. What you really want is some blood and thunder in your life. Well, friend, you found it. The Chromecast is an adventurous journey through the history of two-fisted pulp stories. With your hosts, John, Josh, and Luke. We have action, horror, and adventure. All through the lens of pulp luminary Robert E. Howard. Don't just stay in your ordinary life. Find your pulp life at thecromcast.blogspot.com. The Chromecast. The Chromecast. The Chromecast. A podcast for the barbarian at heart. Hello and welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I am Richard. And I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, bark, bark. <laughs> and he said, bark, bark, bark. And she said, bark, 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 bark. That's what I got. One is the Suspiria boner. The other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. Which one is crying? <laughs> the boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, This is the Doomed Show is available on Show.podomatic. Dot com and doomedmoviethon.com Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show. Richard Brad Jeffrey Nava. It's the Doom Show. Hello, hello, this is the Doom Show. Slashers, G.I. Low and Horror. It's the Doom
Okay, Ganja Ness, 1973. The only perversions that can be comfortably condemned are the perversions of others. I will persist and survive without God's or society's sanction. I will not be tortured. I will not be punished. I will not be guilty. Directed by Bill Gunn and written by Bill Gunn. This is actually his first film. Uh, before then, he, well, he, I think he made one, maybe one film before this, but it got never got finished or never got released. His subsequent films, I think one of them never got released, and another one just sort of got buried as well, or just didn't do very well. Before then, he was sort of a uh, TV writer, and I think maybe he did some TV directing as well, if I'm not mistaken. I think we'll get into this, though. Um, seems like he's one of those guys who was just kind of a victim of basically having his career destroyed before he, it even got off the uh, starting line, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and mainly because of this film. Starring Marlene Clark as Ganja Meta, and she's been in all kinds of horror stuff. She's probably the, uh, one of the more uh, seasoned actors in this film, actually. Then we have... The stoic Dwayne Jones of Night of the Living Dead fame as Dr. Hess Green. And this was his only his second and last starring role. After that, he was just a bit player and stuff in the few films he did after this. Bill Gunn himself as George Mita, Sam Wayman, Reverend Luther Williams. And Sam Wayman is actually the brother of Nina Simone. So, oh. uh, yeah, and, he, and, he's, and he's also a pretty accomplished musician in his own right as well. Leonard Jackson as Archie. Candace Tarplay as Girl in Bar, Richard Harrow as Dinner Guest, John Hoffmeister as Jack Sargent, Betty Barney as Singer in Church, and Mabel King, who was also a fairly uh, notable actress and uh, recording artist, as Queen of Murphia. And uh, she was on Good Times or something like that, I think it was, mm-hmm. that she was most famous for. But uh, So we got a little synopsis here from IMDb, and I think it's actually a pretty good one. Dr. Hess Green, an archaeologist overseeing the uh, evacuation or excavation, excavation, Jesus, my brain's not working, it's fried, at the ancient civilization of Murthia is stabbed by his research assistant, who then commits suicide. When Hess wakes up, he finds that his wounds have healed, but he now has an insatiable thirst for blood due to the knife-carrying ancient germs. Soon after Hess meets his former assistant's wife, Ganja, Though Ganja is initially concerned about her missing husband, she soon falls for Hess. Though they are initially happy together, Ganja will eventually learn the truth about Hess and about her husband. Will she survive the revelation? Will Hess? And uh, that was written by Jean-Marc Rocher. And good job. Uh, although, although it makes the film sound a little bit more like a thriller. Yeah. Than, you know, I mean, it's really much more of a character study. And, you know, uh, I mean, it's, not, it's really not even a horror film in a lot no. of ways. Yeah. So. so, so what are your sort of initial thoughts on this? 
Sure. So uh, this was the first time I have seen this. I had kind of uh, originally heard of it when uh, we did our um, Not a Living Dead episode. I started looking for, uh, you know, what else has Dwayne Jones been in? You know, just on the, uh, you know, years and years ago when I first saw Night of the Living Dead, I kind of done the same thing, but never sat down and watched it. So I had kind of acquired the film at that time. And then uh, I think I had played the first, like, three minutes and just kind of went like, uh, yeah, no, not not something I'm, you know, interested in right now. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, you, you some, when you have so many films available, you know, it's a lot of like, uh, oh, yeah, hit play and then go, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not another time, you know, and then you kind of never get back to it. This is probably on my top ten of the year. This is oh. very high up on my top ten of the year. So I just finished watching it just a few minutes ago, actually, maybe 23 minutes ago. This is pretty fucking phenomenal. It's kind of a... <laughs> it kind of feels very like a sort of 90s indie film in terms of its structure, uh, mm-hmm. In terms of it's, it's got this kind of deeply kind of I don't want to say improvisational, but a lot of the a lot of the dialogue scenes seem to be you know just sort of it's not really actors riffing as much as it, the, the, it's very naturalistic. It's very yeah. just kind of like the camera does just kind of sit and watch these people talk for a while. Um, it's got a lot of that kind of mumblecore aesthetic, but you know like predating mumblecore by thirty years, <laughs> um, and not you know completely self-absorbed. It's definitely got some political readings. There's a lot of kind of politics in this underneath the surface. It reminds me a little bit of kind of early Polanski in terms of the kind of uh, class politics that it's uh, it's exploring. Because you know you Dr. Hess is uh, he's an anthropologist, and he's a very wealthy black anthropologist. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, you know, the object that ends up uh, kind of giving him this vampiric power, vampiric curse, is something that, you know, has been taken from a, you know, an earlier um, civilization. So it is something that has been plundered from another civilization. So it is sort of the spoils of colonialism and, uh, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, cultural imperialism. And uh, all of that is pretty, you know, it never is really spelled out. It's just all kind of like it's it's portrayed through the way that these characters interact. It reminds me a lot of Martin in a lot of ways mm-hmm. uh, in terms of kind of being a vampire story. That's not really a vampire story. It's sort of a character study. And as much as I love Romero and as much as I love Martin, you know, a lot of Romero's politics, as much as I do kind of adore him and I adore his politics, it's really on the surface. And, uh, you know, he does, you know, he does kind of hammer it in uh, pretty yeah. hard. Uh, this doesn't do that at all. It really kind of just lets the, lets the situation be the situation and kind of it, it provides us with this sort of like complex uh, set of readings that then you as a, you as a viewer are kind of expected to just kind of follow along with it. it I never feel like the film is kind of giving me some pat answer or some pat explanation right. or some pat meaning. It's 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 asking me to sort of examine this world and to kind of draw my own conclusions, which is uh, really interesting. Uh, despite the and despite that, I think that it, it really does come to some really solid conclusions in a lot of ways, you know. <laughs> and that's that's a, that's the strength of the film. God, I I, I mean, I, I deeply love this film. You know, I have, I will definitely be revisiting this film at some point um, in the not too distant future. Um, the performances are all phenomenal. Uh, I love the way it's shot. I love the, I mean, it's made on a tiny budget. You can tell it's made on a tiny budget. Some of the, uh, some of the sound, I wish was uh, was a little bit more remastered than the uh, mm-hmm. uh, than what we, than what we get. But um, that kind of just reflects the time and place it was made. And I think uh, some of the uh, commentary I read on this was uh, kind of commenting on that. Uh, when it was restored, it was not uh, restored 
you know, it was deliberately not made perfect to to sort of, you know, as a, as a better representation of what the film actually is, as opposed to, you know, this kind of picture perfect restoration, which yeah. I think is, I think is something that's uh, really worthwhile. Anyway, sorry. Um, really good. Really fucking good. <laughs> I'll stop talking now. It would be quite an undertaking actually to restore this too. It would be like a criterion level kind of job yeah. they'd have to do because it was shot on 16 millimeter and it was, it was then blown up to 35 millimeter. That's why there's so much grain in it. And yeah, there there's some shots in this that uh, were reinserted that, were you know were found after the fact and they're noticeably really dirty like where Mita is basically writing his suicide note that one's really really dark i like this a lot i'd say it's pretty transgressive and and how oh, yeah. it, for a film especially in its time and the sort of things it's pushing against i mean it really kind of throws away traditional narrative and structure goes for more of a non-linear surrealist kind of thing I think sometimes, if if I was to criticize this at all, uh, sometimes it maybe takes a little too long to to switch between scenes. Like sometimes yeah. it sort of lingers on stuff a little too much. But it's it's really interesting because it seems like the movie. Uh, you're right. It it does sort of touch on a lot of different uh, sort of subjects, but at the same time, it never really gives you any sort of real pat answers to anything, and it sort of quickly floats to the next topic almost. Um, it, it seems to be like it overall, and I, I can't really speak on this because I'm not a black American, but <laughs> it, it, it feels like it's trying to like explore what black identity is in the present compared to the past. Right. And I mean, you've got uh, Hess here who seems like he's in the middle of this real big tug of war inside of him uh, between the sort of ancient spiritual side of his heritage and this cursed culture. And then the other side that's pulling him is this sort of uh, white dominated world that he's excelled in. Like he's, he, he makes a comment at one point when uh, Mita was first threatening basically to hang himself in his yard. You can't be hanging yourself in my yard with my rope because I'm the only brother on the block. And it's going <laughs> to open up. It's going to open me up to a lot of questions. If they if they find a, if they find a black man's body in the river, they're going to come asking me questions. That, that's uh-huh. just the way it goes. And uh, that that feels very uh, I mean, a, it's just very funny. I mean, that's yeah. a funny line. That's a funny scene. Um, it's got a, it's got a sense of kind of macabre humor, but at the same time, it, it feels very, you know, pointedly political that, you know, certainly never, uh, you know, certainly that's, that's of the past, you know, we don't, we don't think about those issues today in 2018, about, right. you know, police relationship with African-Americans, you know, it's the film, part of the complexity of the film is that both Ganja and Hess, you know, they are our leads. Uh, but they're both kind of assholes, and they're kind of yeah. assholes to their servant. I mean, they've got they've got to live in oh. you know, servant. Yeah, and I mean, they treat him particularly. Ganja, I think, treats him like shit. I mean, oh, just yeah, she's, you know, she's she's just she's actively up. hostile towards him, and so mm-hmm. you know, it is it is kind of portraying this. I mean, there is a classism involved here, you know, and it is and it is oh. kind of critical of these two people. Uh, despite you know, yes, you're successful. You're a black. I mean, this is a very black film, and I and I and I mean that you know, in, a, in a, the most in, as a high positive, and, and you know, we are two white men, and and this is not this is not our lane, and I am not here to, you know, <laughs> pretend that that is. But at the same time, you know, th- this this strikes me as something that is uh, 
not made for you and I. This is this is yeah. made for black audiences, and it's made for black audiences in 1973. I think it's fascinating that this film was financed as a, like a black exploitation, like Blackula ripoff. Right. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to give you your Blackula ripoff. And then he gives, like, this complete, you know, like, uh, radical revolutionary, you know, uh, very mm-hmm. made-for-black audiences kind of film. I mean, I wish that uh, – I wish this film had gotten more of a chance at the box office because I think it might have very well found a, a really interesting audience had it, uh, had it really gotten a proper release. Yeah, critically, it was well-received. But I mean, like standing ovation, it can well received, uh-huh. right? Yeah. yeah, and it was put it was put in the theaters for about a week, and then the producers, when they discovered that it wasn't the Blackula ripoff they were hoping for, they pulled it and re-edited it, and right. So it it, it failed before it even got a chance to succeed. So <laughs> they had Dwayne Jones, you know, they just they did some inserts with him, you know, where he's like, yeah, put put the teeth in, put the teeth yeah. in. <laughs> He's got like fake, you know. You know, they they put some uh, some bats on on strings. You know, they just kind of fly that by at one point. You know, during yeah. the scene where Ganja is describing her, you know, her experience with her mother and deciding, you know, that she's not gonna, you know, she's always gonna do what's best for her, and then like a bat just flies by. You know, that's yeah, the, you know, <laughs> the level of uh, the level yeah, of editing that went into that, I'm sure. Yeah, because actually, when I first saw this film, it was years ago. It was the edited down, compromised version. Mm-hmm. It was the uh, blood couple version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which even had like new bits of score put in it and everything. Like you can get the actual uh, Sam Wayman uh, score now, although it's mostly just like directly ripped right from the movie. It's not like a remastered kind of thing right. or anything like that. And they actually have the old title track from uh, Blood Couple as a sort of a bonus track on that. But yeah, the the Blood Couple was... So the movie itself is almost two hours. It's hour... Hour 52. Yeah, and it was chopped down to 78 minutes. They chopped a whole half an hour out of this fucker. That's that's astonishing. And And I'm sure it's like... All the really interesting material. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. Yeah, like, let's let's keep all these sort of like creepy, vaguely menacing stuff and uh, the blood, and let's cut all the dialogue. Let's just cut all the dialogue. I can, you know, and uh, because like, who wants to see you know black people talking on the screen anyway? Yeah. You know, like, that's the you know. <laughs> yeah, who wants to see them? Uh, who wants to see like urbane black people intel- intelligently talking to one another? Right. Uh, you know. That, that that would just be that's just silly. It doesn't happen. Yeah, no, um, they're, they're not even playing any musical instruments. You know, we've got no. to, we've got to get them. We've got to. You really got to get them. Okay, <laughs> I'm not. It's fine. Sorry, that joke was never gonna land. It's no, fine. no. The, I mean, the closest they come to that is one point where there were um, Hess stalks a pimp in in uh, in her in his uh, hooker, and yeah, uh, yeah and. That dude's clearly out of Dolomite or something like that, you know, like <laughs> that character is. I, I kind of get the feeling like they shot all the uh, stuff of, you know, like him like robbing the blood bank and stuff. And I kind of feel like the producers thought like that was going to be the movie. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, the black, you know, our black Dracula character, you know, has here, you know, wanders around, you know, like steals blood from blood banks and, you know, gives it, <laughs> gives it to the hose, you know, because yeah, he's yeah, yeah. turning them all into vampires. I can only imagine. You know what yeah. they thought they were getting from this film. 
That that must have been like the dailies they showed them. Yeah, it must yeah. Have been like you know, uh, Whitey Whiterson's coming down to to the to, <laughs> the to the shoot, and he wants to see the dailies. All right, let's show him robbing the blood bank and, and and that scene where he where he beats up the hooker in that really narrow yeah. uh, hallway and kills her. Yeah, but yeah, um, I do like this a lot. And you're right, both of those characters really are. Ganja and Hess really are kind of assholes. Like they're they're kind of I, I think the movie kind of portrays them a bit as sellouts who've sort of lost their own identity and soul in, yeah. a, in a certain way. And well, the um, film uses the vampirism thing. It's it's you know it's got a sort of metaphor of addiction. Mm-hmm. But it's also sort of a metaphor of you know sort of assimilation into the like broader white right. culture. And uh, I think that that's kind of a fascinating you know that that you know you have to. It's a little like the only way to kind of get along in this wealthy, you know, kind of aristocratic academic culture is to literally be sucking the lifeblood out of your lesser beings, right? You know? Yeah, I mean... I'll use lesser in a, in a very ironic, you know, in quote sense, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think with the exception of maybe one victim, everybody they're preying on is their own people. They're, they're, mm-hmm. all, they're, they're preying on, on other blacks. And so it's like the closer that Hess gets to his roots, which is kind of what his obsession is. It's like, it, as much as he's compromised to get there, he's he's essentially trying to find, like, his, his cultural identity. But the closer he gets to it, the more he's a sort of destructive force within his own people. Like, he, right. you know, he's, he's preying on his people, just like white people preying on his people. It's interesting that the film doesn't, you know, it really doesn't, like, reference slavery. It really doesn't reference, you know, any kind of real... History. I mean, it's not. I mean, we're kind of. I mean, if you haven't seen the film and you're listening to us talk about it, you know, there's nothing. You know, it doesn't. It really doesn't go anywhere. Kind of overtly. Let's talk about like life in the Nixon years under. You know, mm-hmm. as, as a black man, it's not. It's not about that. It's. It's much more abstract. It's sort of like asking us to sort of consider these concepts just through the lens of these characters. You know, yeah. it's not. You know, there's never a moment where it kind of like, you know, stops and turns to camera and says, you know, this is our political metaphor that we're making here. You know, um, it's able to uh, suggest all this by j- just through implication, you know, and, and I think mm-hmm. that that's um, I think that that's kind of the power of it is that it, it's and and it doesn't give us pat answers by not really giving us any, you know, kind of an overt question. It just sort of is portraying this this thing. I don't know. It's this. It's it's very very successful at both being really profoundly political by kind of avoiding you know kind of easy shortcuts and shorthands you know yeah so you know people walking into to this going okay you know uh, black vampires and there's and there's a message about imperialism in the film so somewhere rooted uh, you're not you're not going to see any scenes of Ganjin Hess showing up at like a clan rally and killing all the KKK. Right. although hey I'd love to see I, that I, movie that, that, that. I mean that's that's another great movie I would love to see mm-hmm. let's see that movie this isn't that movie and I, I say the film is very very black and a it's got there is a lot of black skin in this film you know yeah. There is a lot of beautiful black skin in this film, and it's that that's something that I mean, even today films uh, you know have a hard time with that level of just showing a bunch of black people you know yeah. being very black uh you know uh, there is there is a strong kind of colorism you know that that goes on in in cinema today, which does kind of strike me that part of the reason that that was able to even be shot is because you know it was made as a black exploitation film, right, so you know like yeah, you know. Get them naked. Show them. Show them in a you know 
yeah, if, I mean, you know, uh, we're okay with with Shaft getting it on with with black chicks, and you know, uh, we show that on the on the theaters. We'll we'll show this. It's fine. Sure, yeah, it's, yeah. it's supposed to be an exploitation film, but even though this has what would be considered traditional exploitive elements, like there's lots of blood, there's lots of bare skin, it doesn't feel or play like an exploitation movie at all. No, it doesn't. I mean, it just it. I mean, there's a. There's a strong eroticism to the uh, to the sex scenes, but it doesn't feel like it's exploiting anyone. It feels like it. it I mean, it is integrated into the kind of larger kind of artistic purpose that the uh, that the film is going for. The fact that this is uh, so, I was kind of making the larger point that this is a very very black film and is a very it is a film that is it, it's not it's not made for white audiences and it's not it's made as a sort of conversation piece within the black community. I mean, I feel like it was designed to as sort of, sort of self critique, not, you know, not, not aimed at people like you and me, it's aimed Mm -hmm. at like that particular audience. And again, that's one reason why I feel kind of uncomfortable kind of really exploring the themes without kind of thinking a lot more about it and, and kind of like really kind of coming to, you know, it's, it's because it's, that's just, that's just a, there are a lot of landmines that lie down that yeah. path of you and I having conversations about what exactly this film might be trying to say. Um, and I don't feel at all, uh, you know, kind of competent to, to judge that on a single viewing in, in this format. But I think it's, I think it's really getting at some really profound things. And I think it's, I would, I would highly, highly recommend this. I think it's really worth a watch. I will definitely be revisiting it. And it's a tough one. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a bit of a tough watch um, as well. Not in the sense that it's, you know, kind of boring or not in the sense that it's kind of just difficult, but it's asking a lot of us as, as a viewer to, yeah. to kind of follow along and to sort of, if you, if you talk to, you know, African-American people, or you talk to say queer people, you talk to, you know, kind of, you know, kind of watching mainstream American cinema, they'll often kind of say, you know, this film isn't, you know, we have to adjust to, this kind of, you know, to, to kind of mainstream films that we have a, uh, you know, you just have to kind of like reset your brain and kind of, you know, just sort of adapt to, you have to kind of code switch just to just kind of get along with the film. And I feel like this, the reason I say this is a very black film is that this does kind of do that in reverse, you know, that as as a, as a white man watching the film, you know, it's not reaching out to me. It's not giving me the things that like an ordinary film would give me. Yeah that would, uh, you know, kind of bring me into the film, you know, or that, that are designed to kind of, it's not, it's, it's not designed to make me comfortable in any way. It's not, it's not designed for me at all. I mean, you know, that's the, you know, and I'm not, and, and that's great. Like, that's wonderful that a film can do that. I mean, it's just, it's astonishing that it exists. And the fact that it exists is one of the, you know, one of the things that, you know, strikes me is that, well, you know, it was almost a lost film. It was almost, you know, just completely uh, forgotten by history. Just, you know, left it left to, to dust and uh that's in part because it's not made for white audiences you know yeah the funny thing is i i don't man i don't envy the person who had to chop this film down to 78 minutes and try to make an exploitation film out of it because again the movie pushes away traditional narrative and structure so much mm-hmm. that all the stuff they would have to cut out of this would just make this one of the more confusing, shitty exploitation films. And I can actually attest to the fact that the blood couple version of this is shit. It, it doesn't work <laughs> at all. It's just very confusing. And yeah, and then there's like about 18 other 
titles for this fucking film too. They, they kept trying to resell it and resell it and resell it, and uh, it never really, uh, never really. Well, it's, they knew they had something, but they didn't mm-hmm. get it. You know, they didn't. They didn't. You know, all they could think of is, well, well, it's got sex and it's got violence, and uh, we should sell it as that. And not realizing that, you know, like if you just re-restored the version that they gave you to begin with, yeah, you know, you're, that's, you know, don't, I don't know, it is, it is kind of, I mean, this is just, you know, this is what capitalism does, right? It just kind of, you know, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm very happy that today it has been restored and, and you know, that we, we do get to see it. And I'm, yeah, no, there's, there's, um, this is uh, available, the, the version I watched is uh, on um, Amazon streaming, uh, Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. So uh, you can view it uh, that way, and uh, it's—I uh, mean, it looks gorgeous. You know, the version that's uh, streaming. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, and you can also you can just watch this on YouTube. Uh, you can watch it in two parts on Daily Motion. Mm-hmm. Um, DVD info for this All Day Inver- Entertainment released a 2006 DVD. Kino Lober has the Blu-ray from 2012 came out. Uh, apparently very, very good stuff. I'll say this, we're, we're talking about this film being so transgressive and everything. I think the most transgressive thing I saw in this film was the fact that Mita was brushing his teeth and gargling with his bathwater. That was just <laughs> gross as shit, man. You know, that's that's one of those things of, uh, you know, you, you see that and uh, you just go, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> You're... <laughs> I'm, I'm against bathing it's at the, in the, it's at the it's at the end of his bath too, you know. So yeah. he's he's already bathed, and uh, you do you do get that. Um, I don't know who doesn't do the occasional gross thing in the bathroom. It's kind of the uh, you know. Yeah, but I do it in a shower, so so it, yeah. it, 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 you know it showers off of me. I don't I right, don't sit right. in it and and marinate in my own filth. You know, like yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> that's <true. laughs> no, I mean it's it's just one of those. Um, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where you see it on film and you just kind of go. It feels like a very human moment to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's it, it it doesn't. I mean, I was. I, it's definitely kind of like a very deliberate kind of kind of scene. You know, it, it's kind of it's. But at the same time, I mean, and this is the director. This is the director yeah. filming himself, and he kind of like you got to give him props for being like, yeah, I'm gonna be the guy who's gonna you know brush my teeth in my own you know dirty bath water. This is yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> Great job. Yeah. Great job, man. I was going to say, uh, the film was remade in 2014 by Spike Lee. Yeah. And it was called The Sweet Blood of Jesus. Have you seen that? I have seen it. It's pretty good. It's actually, I would say, as far as Spike Lee's output in the last few years, probably one of the best things he's done. And it's more like a, it's, it's at times almost like a shot for shot remake. And it's it's yeah. kind of it's kind of like a really nice modern tribute to this film if anything probably just helps illuminate the fact that the original exists which is which is cool by me which which i I can i can imagine spike lee seeing this film and you know when he was in film school in the late 80s or he probably saw the babblerized for i mean he probably saw the really shitty version yeah kind of growing up as a kid um and i hope he got to see kind of the 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 full version at some point kind of fairly early on oh Um, he must have because like i said at times, it's like a shot-for-shot shot remake. Right, so right. It, yeah, it, it does sort of carry. I guess. I, mean, I guess the question is like, how late was the uh, full version kind of rediscovered? I mean, was that was it kind of available, or I was like, yeah, I had a feeling been, it was like only in the nineties that they really kind of 
You it's know. been float. Uh, it's been floating around on DVD since around two thousand five or six, something like mm-hmm. that. I think. So it's 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 been back in in you know sort of uh, popular culture for for a while now. It's been in the rotation. You know. Yeah. You can, I just I just wonder if uh, if Spike Lee might have uh, kind of seen it at a repertory theater or something. You know, like might have seen the good version kind of back in the day, back in the back in the nineties. The '80s or the '90s, uh, it, it would not surprise me that this has a uh, had a really strong influence on Spike Lee. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's it again. I'll say it, it is worth uh, checking out the remake as well. It's probably one of the better things Spike Lee's done in a while. Yeah, no, I I'm, I was definitely curious because I found that in my you know my kind of googling as I was uh, finishing the film, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I will uh, I definitely want to seek that out as well. I want to I want to rewatch this, and I do want to uh, to watch the the Spike Lee version just to see uh, what he did with it um, with. Uh, yeah. Theoretically, a little bit more money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely not the grainy art film from the seventies that uh, yeah. it says. Um, budget was three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and the overall box office is only a sad twenty thousand five hundred fifty one dollar take. Mm. So, you know, yeah, I think. Well, that- I mean, that's that's what happens when you uh, when you cut the movie to shit and you uh, mm-hmm. take it take it out of theaters for after a week. You know, I mean, it is. It is one of those things where if they had just like left the good version in theaters and you know given it, it may very well have found an audience at the time. I mean, you think about like Night of the Living Dead, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, there's an obvious. I mean, you know, there's a cast member between the two films, you know, which had the uh, luck. I, I put the I put that in quotes to uh, to be released at that that particular historical moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, had it not been, you know, MLK's assassination. Uh, had not had not happened in that like very same like moment. I don't know that Night of the Living Dead would have really. It would have been kind of this like weird little you know lost film that that didn't you know. And so I do wonder if you know like released it in '73, kind of the uh, the height of uh, you know just as Watergate's kind of getting started. You know with with uh, a lot of the a lot of the kind of political moves that were happening around that time. I wonder if maybe it would have uh, it would have uh, kind of kind of found that. You know, kind of found that niche. Like people yeah. would have discovered it. You know, had it had it kind of stuck around a little bit longer. And uh, you know, films uh, films at that time didn't. You know, there was there was less of a sense that like you had to uh, kind of find your audience in three weeks, or you were done. You know, like today everything's opening weekend. You know, it's got to mm-hmm. be. You know, even even kind of smaller releases are they kind of you know it's it's a, like a planned like marketing thing. You know, where you know whereas whereas I think at the time in the, in the early seventies, you know, you really could kind of just take a few prints and like stick it in Los Angeles for a while and then stick it in New York for a while and then yeah. stick it in Boston for a while and, uh, you know, kind of let word of mouth kind of happen around it. And then as it, you know, if, if it, if it caught legs, you could make more prints and then, you know, yeah. do more with it. Yeah. With the internet now, it's like all that word of mouth, uh, energy that's all done in the ad campaign before the film. Right. Right. The theaters, right. So, yeah. And even, good. even good films, even good films. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, I mean the whole, I mean, this is, this is kind of the, the ain't it cool news phenomenon, you know, mm-hmm. like going back, you know, where the whole thing is, you know, we're we're trying to build the the buzz ahead of time. We're trying to kind of give you. They're using these online platforms, these you know, kind of you know, independent. You know, ain't it cool news is always independent. And whatever we have to say about Harry Knowles and you know that that era, this is there's a, there's a long complicated story, but at least that you know. Nowadays, a lot of this stuff is just like completely corporate, you know. Like, yeah, we like we release teaser trailers 
designed for the internet to go pour over because there's this like little marketing industry where like fucking nerds will sit and do the marketing work for us if we yeah. give them Easter eggs to hunt for. And uh, I mean, that's fun if people want to do that. I don't, I'm not going to, you know, like have your fun. That's fine. But, you yeah. know, it's a very different kind of thing. God, how would you market this today? God. Uh, audience, I, I apologize. I am very, very tired. <laughs> <laughs> I am very, very tired. And that's why this, if this episode feels a little more rambly and a little bit less uh, focused, I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, but uh, this is very, very good, and I highly recommend it. Yeah, this would be a film that would, you know, it would would show up at con like it did before and probably do just as good, if not better, because there'd be more word of mouth to it at that point. Right, yeah. And you would probably, again, I think you would probably bomb in the U.S. for the most part because too many white people seeing a black dick on screen running at them. Right? <laughs> well, so. I, I think, I think the, the thing is that like today that you can, you can market it to the niche audience, you know? And I feel like, I feel like, um, you know, black Panther became like this giant, giant right. hit largely because like black people went out to the movie theaters to see it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, considering that this film does root itself a bit in these, this ancient African culture, uh, it, it might actually do pretty well considering Black Panther and Wakanda and all that stuff. If this came out after Black Panther, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean I'm thinking about the. Um, there's a film that's in theaters right now. I'm sorry to bother you, which is uh, supposed to be really fucking good. Um, maybe I will go see that myself tomorrow. <laughs> um, oh, that's the one with the with the uh, two black telemarketers who yep. use mm-hmm. white voices. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I feel like, I feel like a film like this would, would kind of try to reach out to that same audience, uh, today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. um, no, and, uh, and so there, there's a, there's a, there's a different, I mean, get out, mm-hmm. you know, this is, um, apparently the, uh, birth movies death, uh, you know, like did a review of this in 2011 and then re-released that review when get out was in theaters, like deliberately kind of like talking about like kind of the legacy of black cinema and stuff. And I feel like, I feel like this is the sort of thing that like today you could, they would know how to market this today, but I think at the time they just kind of didn't get it at all. So. Yeah. So um, I think pretty, uh, pretty high recommendation for both of us for this one. Uh, It's it's definitely one worth checking out. Um, Not sure what we're going to be doing next week yet. Uh, I'm just going to decide soon. But until then, we're we're going to be taking off here. So, uh, Daniel, tell people where they can find you on the old interwebs. You can find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. Um, I also do a, another podcast called Wrong with Authority, which is about movies about history and the history they're about. Uh, there are significantly fewer uh, vampires in that uh Although we did do an episode that was about Shadow of the Vampire and yeah. uh, you know so, and uh, Gods and Monsters, so we do you know we have we have done that, but um, but significantly less uh, <laughs> big floppy uh, donkey dick in in that series. But you know who knows who knows. Um, but yeah, you can check that out at uh, wrongwithauthority.blogspot.com if you're uh, so inclined to uh, check that out. Yeah, and you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com. You can find all the requisite links there for our youtube our uh, apple podcasts our facebook group and all that good stuff uh and but until then thank you all for listening thank you for joining me daniel and we will catch you guys next time bye-bye cheers
you've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For other episodes, our Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Facebook group links, as well as podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.